0: What you may not have realized about the passage we just read in Luke is that travel actually is a luxury that has only really been afforded to us in the late 19th century and onward. If you would have lived in the first century, you probably would have lived in your little village or your town most of your life and would have rarely traveled. The same would have even been the case for Canterbury Tales. But in, the, in ancient Israel, in that first century, what you did find is that there was one exception that was made, and that was during three to four days, there was a festival pilgrimage that people would have made from Galilee or from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. Jesus is going on that journey. Now, one thing that you can notice is that Jesus clearly did not read the 1936 book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Did you catch that? Let the dead bury their dead. You want to follow me? The Son of Man has no place to wear and lay his head. Foxes have their holes and birds their nests, but the Son of Man, he's homeless. Are you sure you want to do this? But you see, the reason why Jesus is doing this is because he wants to take his listeners, he wants to take his disciples on a journey. Those that are willing to make that journey will make it with him. Those that won't, will just turn away and go our separate way. But we won't be changed or transformed by his words. Which brings us to this season of Pentecost. You see, Pentecost is is where we celebrate the giving of the Spirit. And it's only by God's Spirit that we can actually change. St. Paul tells us three things about not how to influence people, but how to change. And the three things he says are this. One is that change is gradual. The second thing is that change is inevitable And the third thing is that it is visible. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if His kingdom has come into your life, it is going to be gradual, it is going to be inevitable, and it is going to be visible. Gradual. Well, what do I mean by that? The minister G. Campbell Morgan, who was the minister at Westminster Chapel in in England, traveled to Rome, and he saw this big slab of granite And this thick slab of granite had actually been split in two by an oak tree. Now, you see, the thing is that maybe a a century or so before that, G. Campbell uh, Morgan uh, muses that a little acorn had probably fallen in a crack. But you see, if I take an acorn and I throw it against the cement of of, of the pavement here in in downtown Orlando, who's going to win? The slab of concrete or the acorn, but you see the acorn power that Paul is talking about, that Jesus is talking about, that Elijah and Elisha are talking about is that it is a power that brings dead things to life. It's a power that can break apart the biggest rocks and change is gradual. You see, you and I can, can make growth happen. We can make growth happen uh, artificially we can make growth happen and change happen mechanically. We can, we can do it by, by piling rock upon rock upon rock and that looks a lot like growth. Or how do you and I measure growth? I how, mean, how do I measure my 12-year-old's growth from when she was a little child? Well, I would put, her, I would put Sophia up against a little doorpost, and, and then I'd little, make a little mark on the doorpost, and I'd see, well, that's where she was when she was two years old. And then I'd come back another six months later, and, oh, there's just a, yeah, maybe a couple fractions of an inch taller. And then you come back and revisit a couple months later, and you make another mark. And the thing is, as you're staring at it, it... it your friend or your daughter or your son you don't see them growing right in front of your eyes rarely do we see growth like that growth is gradual but it's powerful it's not artificial and that's exactly what g campbell morgan was saying about acorn power it's gradual but it's going to happen because it's organic it's living it's something that, that just does what it does. That's why Jesus talked about the new birth in John chapter 3, that it's living, it's organic, it's growing. And have you noticed that St. Paul tells us this in chapter 5? He says that there is the fruit of the Spirit. Organic things, botanicals, produce fruit. But then what does he contrast that with? He contrasts that with the work of Or, pardon me, the works of the flesh. He says the works of the flesh, if he were keeping a metaphor straight, wouldn't he say like it would be the fruit and the weeds? Let's keep it all this sort of garden kind of motif. But Paul doesn't want it that way. He wants you to know that there's something that's organic and there's something that's inorganic. There's something that's going to actually grow and other things that's going to be artificial, that's not life giving, it's gradual. But the second thing is this, is, is that it's inevitable. Orange trees here in Florida produce what? Apples. No, they produce oranges because it's inevitable. That's what you're going to produce. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if the Holy Spirit has, has, has changed you, you will produce Fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, kindness, and self-control. And I love that it's actually in the singular, not in the plural. Jonathan Edwards, when he was writing about this, uh, and he's, he, he's probably one of the better-known uh, American theologians that, that we have, he said this. He says, fruit, it's fruit and not fruits because fruit is concatenated. You can't just get love. If you get love, you're going to get joy. And if you get joy, you're going to get peace. And if you get peace, you get kindness. If you get kindness, you're going to get gentleness. If you get gentleness, you're going to get goodness. If you get goodness, you're going to get patience. And if that, you're going to get self-control. They're all tied together. It's like a cluster of grapes. You don't just get one. You get them all. That's the beauty of the fruit of the Spirit. All of that is going to be birthed in you and is going to grow in you. That's what the Holy Spirit does he makes us alive in Christ to bear much fruit it's inevitable it's just going to happen you're going to produce oranges because you are an orange tree you are going to produce the fruit of the spirit because you are born of the spirit because you have let jesus christ do his work in you it's inevitable now, here's the thing. Um, I, I love the way that the, the summary of the law works when we come to confession and the liturgy. We talk about, lo- we have not loved you with our whole heart. But you see, here's the thing. It's, it's also visible. It's visible. The third thing is that it's visible. What you and I do, the fruit that we bear is visible. If we love God, we will love other people. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is likewise unto this, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. St. Augustine, in his treatise on concupiscence and marriage, writes this. He says, we are truly free where we have no unwilling joy. You're absolutely free when there's no unwilling joy. You see, that fruit of the spirit of joy That fruit of love will be produced when when you just freely do it. Augustine goes on to tell us this. He says, love and do what you will. What does that mean? Okay, let me translate that in modern modern speak. Love and do whatever the heck you want. Now you say, wait, you're a preacher. You're not supposed to do that, right? Say, I can do whatever I want. Well, here's the thing. If you love God... Everything else is going to fall into place. Martin Luther said that all the other nine commandments stem from breaking the first commandment Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the moment that something else takes the place of the love of God, that's when you start breaking all the other commandments. And in the end, you don't break God's law, you prove his law and break yourself. That's what we do when we break His, and, and actually breaking the law isn't so much breaking, breaking a commandment as it is breaking God's heart, the one who loves us so much. It's visible. You are going to demonstrate fruit. If you follow Jesus, it's going to be outworked, and it's going to look very different. I mean, when you look at, at first century writings, whether they were Christian writings or Stoic writings— they all had this paraenetic material, this material that is a list of do's and don'ts. But you see, the thing that, that Paul is trying to drive home here is that actually you can do a lot of things outside that visibly look like their fruit. You can look like you're patient. You can look like you're kind. But what Paul says is that you're nothing but morally restrained and not supernaturally changed. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We wouldn't need laws in a perfect world. Have you ever thought about that? And laws actually only, only help curve a little bit of that self-centeredness that we have inside us. But the law is incapable of transforming us. It, it, can, or, it can inorganically change things, it can pile rocks upon rocks upon rocks, but the law won't bear fruit. That's why he calls it work, the work of the flesh as opposed to the fruit of the spirit. The spirit is, is it's not something that's morally restrained, it's supernaturally changed. You see that sensual dawn from Carthage back in the 370s was visiting Milan, and it was Milan Fashion Week, if you will. And Aurelius Augustinus heard a a voice that said, Tole lege, tole lege. Read him and weep. No, pick it up and read. Read him and weep, fat boy, is what he said. Well, that's a translation of Latin that I think it should say. But (laughs) read it and weep. Read it. Pick it up and read it. And then he... He picked it up and he read, he said, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as you saw that mantle come upon Elisha, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. You see, what Paul is saying is that you and I don't need to be morally restrained. And and you know what? We, we, we all want laws, we want to morally restrain our hearts, we want to see an end to gun violence. But no amount of laws will change our hearts. We want to see care for the poor, we want to see care for single mothers. But no amount of laws are going to bring about universal health care for everyone, or universal care for those who are needy. We can only morally restrain things, but we can't supernaturally change things. Only God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can do that. But this fruit is visible, and how is it visible? C.S. Lewis tells us this. He says that at the end of time, we will say one of two things. We will either say to God, thy will be done. Or God will say to us, thy will be done. One of those looks a lot like heaven. And the other one looks a lot like hell. Thy will be done. But we're incapable of that. Make no provision for the flesh. We're incapable of that. But 2,000 years ago in a garden, a man sweat tears and blood and said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. See, that is a supernaturally changed heart. And that's why the Eastern church had a whole debate about it called monothelitism versus duothelitism. I love how they have these weird debates in the Eastern church. But the whole idea of that was, does Christ have two wills or one will? Does he have a human will and a God will? Have you ever wondered why he says, not my will, but thy will be done? Because Jesus Christ is taking his human will and he's aligning that with his God will. And in doing that, he frees our will that we might actually finally be free from sin and free from the bondage of slavery It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Do not be yoked by a yoke of slavery, St. Paul says. Thy will be done. And as Jesus Christ freely offered himself upon the cross, we today can now freely offer ourselves to him and say, thy will be done. And he will grow in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. O Christ, the master carpenter, who at the last through wooden nails purchased our whole salvation, wield well thy tools in the workshop of your world, so that we who come rough hewn to your workbench may be fashioned to a truer beauty by your hand. Amen.